globe world fiber. I don't think you should drink that. Hello. Holding it like an inch or two in front of my mouth. It looks bad for you. <laughs> you need to get backwards. Okay. It makes me feel great. Hello and welcome to another episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show that very rarely forgets their pet turtle in the middle of a national forest that's burning to the ground. Rest in peace, Turt Reynolds. Oh. Sorry, little guy. <laughs> so sad. So sad. It's even worse that we didn't realize it for like a that's, week and a half. Until you told me, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm your host, Ben Helms. Uh, and with me, as always, is my Shoshone hiking, raccoon detecting, Delilah flirting co-host and big brother, Jason Helms. How goes it, good sir? She was flirting with me. Um, it was not returned. She was flirting uh, hard. I'm very faithful to my dementia-having wife. Let me be very clear That's about true. that. That's fair. There's uh, a little gray gray area there for a little bit. A little touch I go. wanted to use a hyphenated gerund just like you do, and I did. <laughs> Good. Good. That's oh well, yeah. So if you haven't figured it out by now, today we're talking about uh the 2016 this year's indie sensation Firewatch, which has already won a bunch of awards. It's up for more awards this week. We'll post any that they win on the, the adventure you can check out. Uh but yeah, man oh man, this was we played this last week and I wish we'd started a lot sooner. Cause even though this is a pretty short game, this is one of the shortest we played. I think it was four hours, three to four hours is is what they say, but this game has just kind of endless amounts of Easter eggs and hidden things and, and different ways to play that we've only discovered since we ended playing together. Yeah, I've probably seen games with more Easter eggs, but I've never wanted more to find them. And there's just so much in this game uh, from from the Easter eggs that are in the actual game to also the audio tour that we're going to get into in a second, uh, the commentary. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really great. Um, just to be frank about everything, we're recording this Wednesday. Um, it will post on Friday. And in between... Uh, the game awards happen, and oh, true. so um, hey guys, it's Friday! Wow, can you believe that um, they won all the awards? All the awards, no they way. just swept everything, even the things they weren't nominated for. <laughs> all right, crazy. Um, alternate take, guys. Super disappointed. It didn't win as many awards as I'd hoped. Not even one or Not three. A one. All right, those are the two options. Yep. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, same setup as normal. We're start, we'll start off talking about the history, the making of, kind of how it went from. Nothing to a company to a game, kind of in that order. Uh, and then we'll get into the gameplay, which will probably take up way too long, too much of your time. Uh, and then, of course, we've each elected the apropos beer and song but that best suits, best correlates to this particular video game. Uh, and then we'll tell you all about next month's episode and kind of how we're changing things up a little bit. So, all right, after the races, as kind of a, a base layer with which we can build on for the next hour, because there's a lot going on in this game. Uh, let's start with kind of a quick 60 second rendition of what is firewatch and why did we choose to play this game? Cause it's not a LucasArts game. Right. Well, no, no, it's, um, uh, let's see how, how can I describe it quickly? It's a, it's a really open world game mm-hmm. with a very linear story. Um, yeah. or, or maybe yeah. better. It's, uh, it's a very isolating game that's about relationships with people or maybe <laughs> it's not clearing anything up. It's about men, <laughs> And it's all – you play as this man. It's this isolated mountain man. But it's really all about his relationships with women and all the women in his life. It's um, about this raccoon that's stuck in this wood stove and your goal is to get the <laughs> raccoon out of the wood stove. It's about four hours. Um, it's about four hours. Yeah. There's there's a lot here. And one thing I was trying to point to is that 
most of the things are opposites or things that don't go together. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it really does a great job of pulling those large opposites. Uh, in a short version, uh, it is about a man named Henry who mm-hmm. – um, Not Hank. We learn during, during a prologue about his relationship with a woman who becomes his wife. Uh, the, mm-hmm. We learn about the events that lead him to uh, go out one summer and uh, take a job uh, at a national park as a fire watcher. Mm-hmm. And we learn about the boredom, paranoia, terror, and love that come from that job. Oh, that, was, that was beautiful. Yeah, and then the reason we're playing it, uh, we'll kind of get into a little bit deeper, but uh, some of the people who made this game, or most of the people that made this game, uh, were responsible for some of the games, or I guess worked at Telltale Games, uh, and Telltale kind of came from a lot of LucasArts um, designers and programmers and, and creators as well. So it kind of stems from the LucasArts family a little bit, uh, especially because LucasArts doesn't exist anymore. We have to kind of reach a little bit when we want to play more modern games, which we do once or twice a year on the on the podcast. So. Uh, let's jump into once or twice the, a year. This is something we do once or twice. It's our first year, man. Come on, let's not. Let's and not we've put done it twice this year. You're right. You're right. We have done it once. Did or it twice. once or twice? It was Those twice. Are the two options. Twice was, it was the twice. We might do it once or twice next year. <laughs> All right. So let's. The boring part is is the the credits, but it's kind of cool. Campo Santo is the name of the company that that made Firewatch. It was created because basically they had an idea for a game, and they're like, oh, we should probably create a company because we have all these cool people making this game. Uh, it was created by the the main two that I keep hearing about the most. And another thing, if it's clear, the credit part of this show, or if it's unclear at all, excuse me, uh, it's because a lot of their titles, they I've heard in several interviews, they don't have titles at the company, apparently. It's some sort of weird progressive socialist company in the Bay Area, probably. That's it is right. In the Bay Area. That's right. California leftists, socialists. Um, Funded by communists kind of, in Portland. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they just all do work, and it's all good work. And somehow that works out. There's only, I think, 10 people at the company who made the game. Uh, so they're just working their butts off, doing each other's jobs sometimes. And anyway, Jake Rodkin, Sean Vanneman are kind of the main two creators of the game. Uh, they, they were the creative leads on the Walking Dead series by Telltale. And then there's also Nels Anderson, who is the lead designer of uh, Mark of the Ninja. Uh, and uh, they actually got Ollie Moss, who does some of my favorite. He has these very iconic Star Wars posters that yeah, I've wanted for yeah, yeah. years and years and years. And they are just these gorgeous posters. And he does all sorts of different design. I, but I didn't know that until right Ollie now Moss. when I put it together exactly when you said Ollie Moss. Yeah. I was like, I know those posters. Yes, exactly. Totally. I heard the name. I Googled it. I was like, oh, that's the guy. Um but yeah, so he he did all the art for it. Jane Ng took all of his art and then 3D rendered it and kind of did all the environment and lighting and everything. Uh, and then Chris Remo is the name of the guy who did all of the um, all of the music. He did some of the design, but he composed all of the, the score, which is – I say all this. It sounds boring, but I Googled each of these people because at different times in the game, my mind was blown by each of the things – by things that each of these people did separately. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the score wasn't like, oh, that's a cool theme, da da da, or whatever. It was this dynamic music that would change depending on where you were, and it wasn't just like go over here and the music changes. It was almost like with your emotions or you know what you were afraid of. It just seemed like a very in- intuitive score. I don't know if that makes sense, but it just it felt like it was reading my mind. Yeah, I was actually talking to a student today uh, about it in class or after class, and. um 
one of the things we were talking about is um, I, I kind of backed up to talk about music that comes with a game and that changes based on uh, the things that are happening in the mm-hmm. game. Yeah, exactly. And I talked about the LucasArts iMuse system. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think first came with Loom. It may have been earlier than that. I think uh, you're right. It might have been Monkey Island. I, I don't remember. But the um, – you know, where it changes based on scenes and things like that. But still, you've got this load screen in between rooms, in between, you know, large yeah. areas uh, where the music can change. The amazing thing about Firewatch was that it all just seamlessly blended together. It was done yeah. incredibly well. And uh, it was fun because my student was actually working with this in a really simple way. He just wanted two sounds in his game that he was making. Um, but one of them was uh, Crystal Blue Persuasion, that song. And so it was fun to talk to him about how are we going to get this in there for his and how is he going to create this similar kind of atmosphere in a much smaller way. So that song was never in the actual show Breaking Bad? Yeah, it was. It had it's, to have been, right? It was what plays over the cre- end credits. Oh, okay, good. I was like, that no, seems way too perfect. It might play there, be... but it also plays over a montage of them making meth in the um, fumigation house when they're doing the fumigating thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Before we get too sidetracked into Breaking Bad, uh, there's two (laughs) people I want to mention. uh, Yeah. Cable Sasser and Stephen Frank. um, Okay. Who are the founders of Panic, um, the Portland-based communist that I mentioned earlier. I'm glad that we're reporting everyone to the House on American Activities Committee (laughs) uh, as we go. We have no idea of anyone's political leanings. It was just a throwaway (laughs) line because they didn't have titles to their positions. Um, But – so I believe it was Cable Sasser who became friends with Jake Roddick, okay. uh, Rodkin, sorry, yeah. uh, with Jake Rodkin. And the thing that brought them together was their mutual love of LucasArts games. Um, and so I thought that, that was cool. That is amazing. That is really cool. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's a genre that people like, you know, maybe there'll be a podcast about it someday, but you know, those someday. games are probably just lost and forgotten forever. Well, and now we but know yeah. that that's where the money is, because uh, that's how that all happened, is Panic funded them based on that friendship, and Boom. maybe the pitch and good ideas too, but really based on LucasArts games. The takeaway is LucasArts is where the money is. It's where so the money is. We're, we know we've made a lot of money off it with Ooh, our free yeah. podcast with no advertising, so uh, anyway, yeah, so Jake Rodkin, Sean Vanneman went to Panic for funding. And they were talking about how this had a great relationship, which usually a small company trying to get funding doesn't always have like a super great relationship with. You're trying to always make excuses for why you need more money. And I, I think it was an interview with Sean Vanneman saying that he, the first playable version, the first beta they had of, of Firewatch years before it came out, at least a year before it came out, they went, they flew up to Portland, Jake and Sean, and played it for the guys at Panic just to say, like, hey, this is what you've been funding so far. I know it looks horrible, but it's going to look way better. And he just said, you know, most relationships, you wouldn't want to show off right. kind of how crappy your games lo- game looks when it's that early on. But it's, it seems like a very uh, just kind of uh, healthy relationship, which is kind of cool to see in, in the kind of indie gaming world. Yeah, and um, the game comes with a commentary. It's done as an audio tour. Oh, yeah. So a lot yeah, of the information yeah. we're getting from is from interviews online and then from the audio tour. Uh, which um, we'll get into the mechanics of it later because it's really cool. But just as we're talking about the development, one thing that was so great to hear about that is just the atmosphere it sounds like at Campo Santo. Yeah, They all really love what they do, Um, which is funny because one of them described creating, I think it was the canyon, um, as a baton death march. Um, (laughs) So – you know, it doesn't mean there's not hard stuff in there, but they 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 like doing what they do, and they were all paired off as they talk about. They're, you know, none of yeah. these were with an individual designer; it was all two people at the same time, so they could talk to each other, and they all seem to like each other. Yep, 
Yeah, it, which is cool. It's such a small new company, you don't really know what to expect. But especially when you bring in people like um, Ali Moss, who's definitely the outsider and the artist, you bring him in and he's able to not only make this, create this kind of um, aesthetic that is just immediately iconic. As soon as I saw the first poster, trailer, logo of Firewatch year and a half ago, whatever it was, it looked like it was already a game. Like it looked like something that was familiar. But at the same time, you go to that their homepage and you see that parallax background and it's familiar and nostalgic mixed with uber modern, something I want to be a part of right now that's going to be big very soon, which is a really tough kind of wiring act to balance there. I, I think they did a great job. The whole game, we we said it throughout probably every 10 minutes that just like, stop, let's look around. This game is gorgeous. Yeah. Like picking things up. Yes, it's cartoonish. Yes, it's like this vector art stuff, but... It, I mean, it does not take long to get sucked into that world that you're walking around in for, for four to 20 hours. Yeah. In my um, academic field of rhetoric, we talk about the term ethos, which is mm-hmm. the character mm-hmm. um, of something. And um, Firewatch, I think, gets its character, its ethos uh, across first visually. And there's a very, very distinct ethos that's created by Ollie. Um, and then second, through the characters, particularly of Henry and Delilah. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the mix of comedy and pathos, comedy and depth, um, of pain and, and happiness, uh, that is able to come across in the, the light comedy that they bring in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we keep jumping ahead to kind of gameplay stuff, which is fine, but let's kind of I'm focus sorry. on the history. I'm no, sorry. I do it too, man. No, no. It's tough. Uh, so yeah, Sean Vanderman, I heard a, um, a great podcast with him actually came out earlier this week, maybe last week on, uh, what is it? The Ringer's. Um, oh, I should have, I didn't write this down. The ringer is the name of the the podcast network. Uh, and the podcast is called achievement oriented. It's their new video game podcast. And it's an interview, a 45 minute long interview with Sean Vandeman, where he talks completely about firewatch. He talks about the upcoming possible full length feature film version of firewatch talks about the making of and everything. I mean, he started by talking about how he kind of got, he realized firewatch was a good idea when he thought of it, talked to a few friends and then he made a he basically made the intro. He described Henry and kind of told you this is the setup to the game. And he made it in a thing called Twine, which I looked up. It's free. I think you've used this before, right? With in your class? Yeah, I've actually decided not to use it in my class for oh. a variety of reasons. Um, but this will get into some g- game development stuff if you want to. Um real, real quick, is, we can talk about it, yeah. Yeah, Twine's a really, really cool program. Um it's used to make um Text-based games primarily, although yeah. they can include audio and visual elements as well. Okay. Um, and these are games that are driven mainly by choice. So uh, think of Choose Your Own Adventure, mm-hmm. right? At the end of a block of text, you get two, three, four, or five options. Sometimes just one option to lead you on to the next page. Right, right, right. Um, It's really engrossing. It's really effective. And my students, invariably, once we play a Twine-based game, they make their games um, – they kind of retrofit the game engine that we use so that it works like Twine. They use an extension called Choose Your Own Adventure to plug okay. in to just make it work like Twine. It's now, called Choose that, Your Own Adventure? That's the name of the extension, yeah, CYOA. Pretty straightforward. So the um, the reason I don't use Twine, though, is because Twine is script-based. And that means, you know, it's lots of if this, then that. If right. they choose this, go to that page, right? But the engine we use called Inform7 is object-oriented and script-based. So anything oh, you okay. want to do in Twine, you can also do in this. Right. Um, in terms of interactivity, but you can also have something like a cup that you can pick up, move somewhere else and put it down and it will stay wherever you put it. Gotcha. Uh, and that's actually kind of nice to talk about this game because there are elements of both. 
you open not with object oriented, but with completely script based with this twine based intro. Yeah. And then when you get into the free flowing game, you can really see the overlap of these two methods of programming. The object oriented gives you that free world you can explore, all the objects you can interact with. Uh, it remembers where things are. And the script based allows you to have that interactivity and, and branching paths that lead you to various places. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think while. Um, Vanman was talking about that. He he made fun of himself as not being a programmer at the same time. So I think he would probably he might even agree with you being saying that choose your own adventure is a better program. But for whatever reason, he learned Twine, and that was the quickest way for him to be able to create the vision in his mind. Yeah. So you know, yeah, yeah, it worked for him. I, Obviously, I, it's worked. But did yeah. did he end up recreating it? Do you know in Unity or is the Twine version the the one we play? We play the Twine version. That, that, the way he said it, I thought about it when he said it. I rewound it even, yeah. and he said. The the beginning was created with Twine. I think that's how he said it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't and, know if he means so the I original think, version was or if the final version was, right. but... Um, I mean, all the stuff in there you could do with Twine. Um, I just didn't know you could export Twine to the, the PlayStation. I don't know the exact <laughs> right. you know, walkthrough for that. Yeah. Um, but I think Twine is also useful even if you want to plan out a game that's totally you know involved with action and things like that. Mm. Uh, in that you can really, really quickly make up these branching things. So if you want to sure, do any sure. kind of branching tree, uh, you can create... Write Twine games almost as quickly as you can think of what should happen next. There's so little exactly. programming involved. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah, it, it was definitely inspiring to hear him talk about that and to dive into Twine a little bit uh, this, this week just to to realize how quickly you can make a game, which I know you've obviously done this before, but I haven't done them before. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Um, but he talked about how a really cool quote. We don't like to read a lot of quotes, but I have two here. Uh, but again, from that interview is – he, he says he talked about – Sean Vanderman talks about modeling the Firewatch experience on things like Disneyland or or real-life games that you might play. Uh, and he says he wants to give players somewhere to go. Don't tell them how, they, how to get there. And then when they do get there, challenge their expectations about what they're going to find there and then let them react to it. And he, he talks about that kind of in comparison to the Telltale games, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones. We played Game of Thrones yeah. on the podcast a few months ago. Uh, but how you're constantly giving this 50, 50 split, this ultimatum, like save Susie or bill go. Now you have five seconds to choose whatever you choose. will change the whole game forever, sort of, <laughs> but it's not this kind of, it's not this intuitive, like here are five things. Do you want to say one of them? Like you can, yeah. you don't have to. And like, none of them will necessarily like change everything, but like which one, which of these things is the funniest to you? Yeah. Which I thought consistently, obviously the Delilah conversation over the radio is the biggest one. And the setup for that, we should say, I don't think we said, as soon as you take the job in the forest, you're given a radio and you're talking with your boss. Her name is Delilah. She's in another Firewatch Tower a couple miles away. And you're, she's your only, the only other character in the, or mainly the only other character in the whole story um, as far as the one that you interact with on a regular basis. So, yeah, the only, um, one of the few characters you actually talk to, you do talk to the skinny dipping teenagers, but. Other than that, I think she's the only character you talk to. Uh, there's a sequence um, in which you talk to someone else. Okay. I, was, I couldn't remember if you actually talked to that person or if it was – okay. Anyway. Dr- dreamish sequence. That's you think you're talking to Good Delilah. call. Good yeah, call. Yeah. Um, and one of the really th- interesting things about the walkie-talkie uh, yeah. that I didn't realize playing the game is um, it creates a way for you to be able to talk to another character mm-hmm. no matter where you are. So most oh, yeah. games, when you have to talk to a character, you need to be in the room with that character. Right. And 
there are maybe moments. Uh, I'm thinking of Grand Theft Auto. You can pull up your phone at any time and call someone. True. And you can go through one of those scripts and, t- and talk to someone that right, way. Right, right. But almost every interaction with a person is because you're right in front of them. Mm-hmm. The great thing about Delilah is they could use other environmental triggers to kick off conversations yeah. with Delilah. And so as you're walking around, you don't see it. There are these invisible areas that you walk through. Yeah. And as you walk through an area, it will key off, okay, now this is the next thing Delilah says. And as they went through that, they were able to talk about pacing. And so they would go through and say, oh, you know what? This conversation comes a little bit too quick. We want them to feel a little bit more isolated. So let's take this, you know, 30-foot wide um, area, this kind of cloud of when you walk through this, Delilah says something. And let's move it just a little further down the trail so that you get a little bit more alone time before Delilah interrupts. Um, And it was such a cool way to create this cinematic effect uh, because of pacing. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's a lot of layers of interactivity that happen there. But it's this principle they talk about of don't let the story dictate the gameplay. Let the gameplay dictate the story or let them be involved with each other. Yeah. And so once they realized the radio thing, it made everything just snap into place. Right. Yeah, that's that's huge. I think that a lot of games air too much on the gameplay, too much on the story, and it's really tough to have that that balance. This one probably aired too much on story, I think. I I think they're inseparable in this game. Maybe that's what it is. You're right. Maybe it's not an either or. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was one moment in the game that they mentioned leaned too far far towards story and made the gameplay awkward. But I think that there were maybe two or three moments in the whole game that I can point to where it was like, okay, I wish I wasn't playing this right now. I wish I could just get to the next part of the story. Oh, that's true. We talked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that that leads me actually to the the other quote I had, which was uh, it talks about compared to the Telltale games, which you get those 50 50 split decisions you have to choose right now. And he says he had a good time making those and designing those kind of uh, mechanical arcs and choices. But he says his heart and the heart of uh, Campo Santo, the company that made of the game uh, is giving players the verbs to feel like they are really in a story, mm-hmm. which as soon as I heard that I stopped and had to write it down as in that p- same podcast, because that goes back to Lucas arts games, the yeah. scum games where half or a third of your screen is full of verbs and yeah. like literally <laughs> Dave Grossman, Ron Gilbert, all these guys that, you know, created all these scum games back in the day were doing just this. They were giving us the verbs to let us create our own story. And obviously not create our own story necessarily, but because we're following this linear arc that they've created, but giving us the verbs to interact with everything around us, which is some of our favorite games did that. And the goal of Firewatch from straight from the creator is saying he was trying to basically recreate that in a 3D environment. So, Ben, you've given us this thesis that Firewatch was in some way influenced by Dave Grossman and Ron Gilbert. Yes. Um, but as a good English teacher, I need you to supply some evidence for that. Interesting. Interesting. Uh... The notes. The notes left in the cache. What were the notes left in the cache? Dave and Ron talking to each, oh each other my in the game throughout the <laughs> you entire game. You caught that, though. You caught that before yeah. I did. Yeah. So there's all these little cache C-A-C-H-E boxes. Uh, all around, you know, if you work in the forest, you have a key to the box, and it has different supplies and books and pine cones and skulls and bones and whatever. Uh, and in a lot of them are letters from Ron to Dave and then from Dave to Ron, these letters that have been passed back and forth from this weird tryst that they had years ago as as uh, rangers or something. Uh, and you caught it immediately. You're like, oh, Dave and Ron. That was a nice little tip of the hat. That was good. But, yeah, I, I don't know if I would have caught that. That was that was good. That, that was a, a cool uh, deep cut, and um, other than the LucasArts references we've already made, on one of the audio commentaries, they're specifically talking about how they wanted to make their game like Monkey Island. What? Uh, 
Yeah. And it's in a really <laughs> subtle way too. It's not, let's talk about Monkey Island. It's, we did this and we did that. And, you know, we really wanted to get that same kind of feel where you've got control and yet you're solving a puzzle and you get that little accomplishment, you know, like Monkey Island. It was, you know, something simple like that. I can't wow. remember the exact words, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. So you talk about uh, the walkie-talkie uh, function kind of mechanic they talk about. I've heard in two different places Sean Vanderman talk about the fact that that was basically like, hey, we like Bioshock and we like the player interaction between Atlas, which is kind of your the computer, the the thing that follows you around, the voice, the what disembodied voice that follows you around. Or like, what if you could talk back to Atlas? And that was like a light bulb moment that he's like, oh, we'll just give everyone walkie-talkies and we'll let you be able yep. to kind of talk to your boss the whole time. As she's giving you guidance, you can ask questions and have jokes and flirt or whatever. Yeah. Um, kind of like the dialogue system from Walking Dead, but again, much more, much less 50-50, choose this or this, and kind of a, a little more gray area vague, make it your own story. But yeah, uh, so yeah, a little more housekeeping kind of stuff. The game sold more than 500,000 copies in the first month in February this year, which is that's pretty good for an indie game. <laughs> I can't count yeah, that high, seriously. so it's pretty good. Uh, and then as of September... Uh, it reached close to a million. It just got released for Xbox, I think, in late September, and then PlayStation 4, and maybe before that. Uh, it just got released for something else recently, too, and then all its awards. I'm sure it's going to, I would think, double those sales in the next year, just because it, it seems like it's getting bigger every yeah. day, not smaller. So, uh, Panic evidently recouped their entire investment in Good. 24 hours. Oh, my gosh. That was the that headline that. of one article that I didn't read. That is amazing. Uh, but, yeah. That's cool. So... There, there are a lot of um, YouTube videos actually that the that Campo Santo made that they created and put on their own YouTube page. We'll post links to them in the adventure post about this episode. Uh, but there's a half hour just on the art of Firewatch, hosted by Janing, that is fascinating. I watched almost all of it, and I just I didn't have enough time to watch all of it, but I really, really wanted to. Fascinating. There's an hour long making of the game. There's all sorts of things, and if you go to YouTube and you search Firewatch Easter eggs, you will lose an afternoon. Yeah. It go play just... the game first because this yes. is still in the spoiler-free <laughs> section. Point. Oh my gosh, don't don't play with those. Go play the game. Good point. And then uh, in September, also, it was announced that Campo Santo was partnering with a, a company, or uh, Good Universe is the name of the company, uh, to adapt the game into a full-length feature film. So when I, I heard, in, again, in that same podcast, Sean Vanderman is like, nothing in Hollywood ever gets made. Period. Yeah. So stop asking me when it's going to come out. Stop asking me who's going to be in it. We're years away from like even a budget or a script or whatever. So very early on, it'd be cool if they had a game. We'll see. But that's cool. I did hear some casting rumors that Giovanni Rabisi would be playing Delilah. So it's going to be pretty avant-garde. I'm excited. That'd be fascinating. Man, I just want to see what we can do with that. That's a choice. (laughs) It is. Very early on. I don't even have a director yet. No, no. Man. All right. You got any more history making of research kind of stuff? Oh, tons more, but come on, let's get on to gameplay. All right, we got a lot to talk about. Here we go. So, before we get into the gameplay, uh, well, you and I did play the game together. Uh, in Texas last week over Thanksgiving break. Uh, we had a nice time. I wish we had a little more time. I'm, we did that partly because we were going to be together, which was great. Secondly, partly, partly the sequel, uh, is that it was, it cost us less money. We only paid $20 yeah. once and we get to split the game. I am buying the game this week and playing it again myself. 
doing all the Easter eggs. It didn't save us any money. It didn't save us any money because this game was so amazing that I just want to play it all the time. So, and let me uh, impress you more than that because it was actually on the third hand. Um, <laughs> so good that our wives who do not play video yeah. games sat and watched this game and participated and wanted to get filled in on the story as it was going on. And not because they were bored or what, whatever. Like they were genuinely interested in the story. My, I, yeah. When we finished the game, I started over just so Hannah could watch the intro sequence so she could kind of learn more about Henry. Uh, but yeah, before we get jump into that, what that was like and everything in our experience, what was your what were your thoughts on Firewatch kind of maybe not right before we started playing, but, you know, a couple months ago when you've heard of the game um, slash what surprised you most in the first you know half hour of the game? The trailer seemed much more action oriented. Mm-hmm. Step one, mm-hmm. um, whereas the actual gameplay was it wasn't slow, but it wasn't high stakes. Yeah. didn't feel like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? Right. Until, you know, a little ways into it. Then you yeah. get, it gets tense. Th- those were probably the biggest differences. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think yep. for me, I, I would agree with those. I think the things I thought of it was much less puzzle oriented than I thought it would have been. Yeah. So I, I yeah. think um, I'm glad they stuck with the classic LucasArts, you can't die thing. Yeah. Um, there's definitely kind of a safety net that I like in these games where I'm not constantly worrying about my life meter or how red the screen is or whatever. Um, But constantly the same thing, like with mist, I remember when I first played mist, I, it might've been the only time I played mist. It was just like, Hey, open this door. You need to solve this puzzle for an hour. Hey, pick up this thing. You need to solve this puzzle for an hour. And it's just like, and that was, I believe that was uh, first person as well, right? Yeah, that was first person. So that's the first thing I thought of when I saw this, because I was like, Oh, a puzzle game, LucasArts ish and first person. And I was stoked that it that there were definitely puzzles, but it was much more intellectual and um, I, I think instinct based. It was like, oh, I need a this tree needs to fall over. Oh, I have an axe. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. solve this puzzle. It wasn't like, and that here's this codex that you need to solve everything. In the entire game. What's that? That might be the hardest puzzle in the entire game. What you just described. That's true. And <laughs> yet we solved it almost immediately. But I mean, it, there was not yeah. a lot of searching. I think a, a cool way and another one of the big reasons why I want to play this game is a lot of the things we figured out were it seemed like happenstance. Yeah. Which is, first of all, a few of those I'm sure were coincidences. Second of all, I think that that's just speaks to the great game design. It puts you in a place to succeed. Yeah, exactly. And it's not about did you get past this boss or did you get past this part? Like. It's a four-hour game for everyone. It's not a four-hour game if you're speeding yeah. through it. It might be a three-hour game if you're speeding through it. But the, it's supposed to be a quick one or two sit-downs kind of game that is much less about the gameplay aspect as far as like the mechanics for playing the game, up, left, right, down, A, B, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's more about kind of traversing through this world and relationships and communicating with this other person and we had all these theories going the whole time. Every 10 minutes, we'd pause and be like, yeah. okay, what do you think? Is Delilah a robot? Is she the government? Is she in your head? Are you delusional? Are you, all these theories that, again, this is the spoiler section. None of them came true. Yeah. Like the, the research lab in the forest that we thought Ned was like spying on it. It was a research lab in the forest. It's just research lab. The research in <laughs> soil. It's and boring. we had the keys to that clue. She said, oh, those happen sometimes. Yeah. And they happened. Um, she even mentions it earlier on when I was replaying the game. She said, you know, you're going to get, you know, campers, hikers, uh, the odd research scientist uh, counting deer or, you know, yeah. looking at soil samples. I mean, she mentioned wow. it in the list. But th- those aren't the things we latched onto. No. 
That's so well written because the things we latch onto are the little tiny conspiracy theory things or anything that could make us a little jumpy or solve some other puzzle with a broken tent or whatever. Yeah. One other really interesting thing about the feeling of playing the game is there's a really interesting thing happen, happening with multitasking um, when you're mm-hmm. talking to someone who's not there. So you're thinking yeah. about the conversation with Delilah, especially yeah. because it's timed. You know, when you get a response, you have to respond in 15 seconds or something like that. It, there's a timer right. that goes down. Um, and yet you're also trying to navigate a world that you don't know and mm. you're trying to solve a mystery and, yeah. you know, there's all these things going on at the same time. So usually when you're talking to Lila, you're running from one place to another right. and it, it takes just enough of your brain that you're unable to focus quite completely on any of them. And it leaves you with that feeling of excitement. Yeah. Even when all you're doing is talking to Delilah while you're running across a field. I think I think a big part of that is the fact that there's so much dialogue. There's so much that we didn't hear. I think that there yeah. might be more that we didn't hear than what we actually did hear. Just so many dialogue options and so many different um, conversation trees. Uh, and a lot of them are randomized. A lot of them are chosen by if you open the door at the right time or like you said earlier, the kind of what area of the field you might be standing in at that time. That would kind of dictate what Delilah says. Um, but yeah, the game just seemed... It seemed overwhelming isn't the right word, but it just seemed huge and massive and not massive in the same way that San Andreas seemed massive. It seemed massive and isolating at the same time, uh, but never lonely because you always had Delilah. Even if sometimes she wouldn't answer, it was nice to have that walkie talkie to kind of be able to reach out occasionally. And on the audio tour, they actually talk about some of the ways that they achieved that, that feeling of the map being much bigger than it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, When they're leading you along, you're typically going along a straight line. You know, it, it weaves, it goes left and right a little bit, but right. you're getting from point A to point B. Yeah. Um, and you can't go that, over certain parts. There's cliffs and rocks and trees. I mean, obviously, like, right. it's very specific locations that they allow you to go in. Right. And because of that, they can run that straight line over itself from different angles, mm-hmm. and it feels like a new area. So this is a really That's common cool. technique in filmmaking. Right. Uh, if you're watching um, – uh, <laughs> thank you. Vasquez yeah. Rocks. Vasquez Rocks. Uh, Westworld. If you're watching Westworld, you've oh, seen yeah. Vasquez Rocks roughly 83 times right. per episode. Right. Uh, but you don't notice it because they move the camera eight feet to the left yeah. and then have the actors back up and then reshoot it. And it feels like a different scene. That's I want them to area. just zoom out slowly from one of these shots at the end of an episode of Westworld and you just see all these red shirts just lying dead in this, <laughs> <laughs> this little canyon. <laughs> oh, pour one out for the red shirts. Oh, man. Um. So they use that same technique to make this map feel a lot bigger. And when I was playing mm-hmm. back through with the audio tour and I really had much more of a feeling of where everything is, it the map did not feel near as overwhelming. Cool. Um, and you didn't get this feeling of a huge open space. It felt like something you could run through and, and I know how to get from A to B. I know how to get here. But you really don't get that feeling until maybe the last 15 minutes of the game. It felt like that. I felt like I was starting to get there. When, you know, you'd run some, somewhere for 30 seconds and we'd look at the map again and be like, oh, you got really far in those 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And then when you're trying to get to thoroughfare lookout yeah. point or whatever, the very last thing, that felt like it took a half an hour. Well, it's it's about half the map. I mean, it's I just you're, took, you're running a long ways. But my, my point is that sometimes it feels like it's yeah. really small and other times, yeah. again, depending on what part of the story. When yeah. you're running from flames, it's going to seem like it's taking a long time. Yeah. But yeah, when you're just like walking around, it's going quickly. So yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree. Yeah. I think the big part of the um, play locations looking different from different angles, the lighting was a huge part of that. And I don't know. Cool stuff about the lighting. I do. I don't know if it was necessarily like, what was it? Zelda Um, Ocarina of Time was, I think the first game 
and, and not necessarily the first game ever. The first game I played though that had the the sun that always moved. I think it was like mm-hmm. twelve minutes per lap or whatever. Um, right. But it, that fascinated me. That was nineteen ninety six or ninety seven. This I don't know if it was timed the same way. I think maybe every scene was the same time of day. But you're gonna it's enlighten not, me. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna enlighten me. Enlighten uh, me. I, I'm there. No, no, no. Do you want here? Okay, you talk now. You talk. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, <laughs> so uh, the way the lighting worked um, is first off, you were asking about is it timed, and mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, okay. The way it worked is similar to Delilah, where you'd run over an environmental trigger. Oh, and okay. The environmental trigger would move the sun. So I never um, noticed it moving at all. I just noticed no. that each different scenes, I didn't know if a whole scene was night or a whole scene was sunset or whatever. So. Yeah. They they talked about creating a a slope between one light and another, and then basically creating a bezier curve on that. Jeez, uh, so that's that cool. so that it'll go slowly and you won't see it. Wow. Um, I mean, they got really into it. So here's a couple awesome. of in, other interesting things. When you go through the audio tour, uh, they tell you exactly how the lights created, um, and the way things are lit is it samples the color of the sky. And so all they had to do was paint the sky in all what? of its gradations throughout the course of the day. That's why sunlight work, or that's why sunset looks so beautiful. Right. Is everything is bouncing the sunlight. Well, it's not bouncing. It's actually, it's running it through a filter that is keyed to whatever the color of the sky is. That's cool. So because of that, when you go into the cave, in order for the cave to be dark, they need the sun to set. No. So what they say is when you walk into the cave, if you could step outside the cave in that moment and see it, as soon as you step around that corner... The sun sprints across the sky what? in like two seconds and sets. That's awesome, dude. And it actually works really well because the first time you go in the cave, when you come out, it's night. That is um, cool. You go in at sunset and you come out at night. And so – Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It's really, really cool. There's even a place in the game uh, – in the audio tour, they create all these little props for you to interact with. There's uh, mm. a model of the actual character you play. There's actually a bunch of models of the character what? you play. Um, oh, it's amazing. So yeah, and, just again, real quick. The reason I don't know this is because I had to go home and leave Texas and Jason was able to kind of replay the, the free roam and do that. Have you played the free roam yet? No. Okay. We're going to play the free roam. I'm going to play the hell out of that when I get it. Uh, but you, you did the audio tour. Yeah. And I played the audio tour for about three hours and wow. I did not get enough. I can't, I can't wait to get more. And I missed tons of stuff. Um, really? I saw, uh, well, all the audio tour things are numbered. So right. I kind of thought, okay, I got to get this thing done for the podcast. I got to get through it. Yeah, so yeah. I just got to make sure I get to every single number. Right. And I'm going through it and uh, I get to number seven and it says, this this one is closed today. This audio tour what? is not available today. I was like, oh, that's weird. But then the next day, of course, it was available when it's day what? two. So because it's keyed to what day you're talking about. So I moved on, I moved on. And I get to like day 77 and I realized that all of the audio tours change based on the day. No. So – I could have been replaying some of these ones oh and I gosh. missed tons and tons yeah. of stuff, especially the one that's in the tower that you're in like every day. Right. It changes. I'm, I'm assuming that has like the most integral information for wow. that day. And I missed that's it cool. except until I finally figured it out pretty far into the, the playthrough. But the cool prop I wanted to tell you about. Yeah. There, there's a platform that you run, you're running down meadow and there's just a platform in the middle of it, okay. um, which isn't there normally in the game. It's only there for the audio. Oh, okay. So you walk up onto the platform and there's, um, I think, nine or ten circles. Uh, and the circles are arranged uh, – each circle is about a foot wide. And they're arranged in a circle mm-hmm. uh, with one of the circle platforms in the middle. Okay. And when you stand on them, it changes the light and weather. Oh, my god! So you can play with those and watch the sun fly across the sky as it goes to sunset. Uh, can I buy this game back. twice? It's <laughs> the coolest. And you'll just get stuck playing with that. 
I mean, you listen to the yeah. audio tour guide that's telling you about the lighting and everything. Right. And then it ends, and then you find that you've still been playing with the lighting for another five, ten minutes. Wow. This game is not for gamers. I feel like this game is for, like, normal people and nerds. Yeah. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. And I count myself yeah. as a nerd, not a normal person. I, this, I mean, this isn't something that you're going to accomplish and get trophies for, and there's no in-game purchases. And so maybe gamers isn't the right term, but this isn't a normal game. Yeah. It's just cool it's, stuff like that. Is They didn't have to do that. They they did the audio tour long after the game had come out. It was a f- yeah. basically a free release. So cool. And it's yeah. just cool that they felt the need to do that. Um, and the fans really do pay that back. It's got an incredible following. Uh, if you want to just see a little bit about that, just Google Firewatch fan art. Yes. And you will just see so much cool stuff. Um, I read an alternate ending because somebody was dissatisfied with the ending. And so there's some nice slash fiction where Henry and Delilah actually get together. Um, and then, of course, you're left with the exact same ending where they're not together at the end. Uh, and it was nice to give you just a little bit yeah. more satisfaction. And then the, the fanfic that I read Good for was them, like, man. nope, you get the same ending. Yeah. Uh, he writes the book and he tries to uh, give her a cute accent on it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and there's actually I, – I don't think it turned into a lawsuit. I read this months ago. I didn't research this this week, unfortunately. But there were, I believe, two different companies – uh, that have used Firewatch art. One completely copied and pasted, pasted the art, like really? with the birds in the same section and the telephone and wire, like took it and used it on their branding, I think for an advertisement. Really? And another one just took it, and I'm sure many more will take the art and, and adapt the style. And I'm sure yeah. Ali Moss is used to that, just being yeah. creative, but it's... it's called being influential. Yeah, exactly, I mean, exactly. Uh, when you, you take the exact art and yeah. you just copy it and like rotoscope not- out the word Firewatch and their logo... <laughs> That's not okay. But again, it's influential. It's big, but yeah. Uh, another huge part of the game was the voice acting, which again, there's two main characters you hear, you're hearing constantly. Henry, which is uh, uh, played by Rich Summer, who is Harry Crane in Mad Men, who the whole game, I was like, I know this voice. Who is this? And finally, I couldn't figure it out. I had to look it up. And then Sissy Jones plays Delilah. And she, both of them were amazing. And not just, not just, their voices were cool, but the every kind of emotive response to everything it was just realistic. It seemed like whenever they would say something awkward, I was like, Oh yeah, that's like, he seems like an awkward guy. He would say that awkwardly. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like, he's Oh, funny. he's really witty all the time. It just seemed yeah. very realistic and laid back. And yeah, that, it, that was a, a really good part of the game that kind of brought me into the game a little bit more too. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess we all know what time it is then. This game is pretty fun. With frustration When I was all done I just had to question What's the beer? What's the song? I can't always tell I just want to know What game is Westy 12? Now is the part of the pod where we each choose one beer and one song that best correlates to what this game meant to us. So, Jason and I both like beer and we both like music. We both like video games. So we're like, hey, let's combine these three things we like and tell you guys what this, what beer and song this video game is. I'm going to stop talking. Jason, would you like to start us off? Yeah. Um, my beer, uh, I always like to be creative and think of something that's, you know, a nice metaphor for the game, uh, something like that. And so, of course, I chose Red Eagle, um, a beer brewed in Wyoming and that, mm. um, that Ben and I have, have seen a lot of um, and interacted with a lot. Um, ben, let me just read you the review okay. online that I found. Uh, Red Eagle was an American brew uh, – I'm sorry, an American beer brewed in Wyoming 
While considered by some to be a lousy beverage, Chelsea Stevens and Lily McLean liked to drink it. <laughs> Ned Goodwin was also known to drink it from time to time. Wow. You get there? Yeah. Ned Goodwin. Brian's yeah, dad. It's the, uh, it's the beer from the game. Oh! Oh, that they keep finding everywhere. I forgot. The, wow. Yeah, it's a Red Eagle. Great call, um, and so Great call. The, I did find an actual review of it online well that lists, and I just read it to you verbatim. Um, wow. I love that the review of it <laughs> is the people who like to drink it. Here are, here are three people who drink That's it. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, my beer is interesting, interesting one because I've had, only had it once, and I'd never heard of it before I'd had it, and I've never heard of it since other than in my brain. Uh, but it's Coke and Budweiser combined. But that's not it. It was given me, to me by a German who <gasps> called it Diesel. I don't know what he called it. I messaged him earlier today to figure it out. He told me it was called Bastard. Called, when I was in Germany, they called it Diesel. Diesel? Because it looks like gasoline. It does. Diesel. It might yeah. be called Diesel. Um, it, it, it's not great. I So I had it this summer. I'll tell you about it. Uh-huh. First of all, it's a drink that I could see Henry drinking. Budweiser and Coke. Sure. Oh, the guy's yeah. a little overweight. Oh. He's a little lazy. He likes, you know, he's sitting there in the hot sun in the middle of Wyoming. It's the perfect drink for Don't that. Don't think too hard. Right, exactly. Budweiser Here's Coke. Coke and Budweiser. Sugar. And Don't make it tougher than it needs to be. Sugar, sugar, and alcohol. Uh, oh, so this summer, a friend of mine was hiking the, the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, which goes from Canada to Mexico. Also goes from Mexico to Canada, depending on which way you're going. Yeah. He was taking the, the southern route. Uh, and on his way uh, through, actually, my town, my house is like a mile from the PCT. So he, he sent me an email like a week before. He's like, hey, I think next Tuesday at 9 a.m. I'm going to be crossing through. Uh, he's not going to have any internet through there. The story is already way longer than it needs to be. <laughs> anyway, I picked up. He stayed at my house for a day. And with him were a couple of the through hikers that he'd been staying with for a few months. And one of them was a German man named Maurice. Awesome guy. We went to the store. He picked up a six-pack of Budweiser and a six-pack of Coke. I was like, man, you're going to have some fun today. He's like, no, we're all going to have this. It's going to be great. And I can't remember what he called them. I, I Facebook messaged him like an hour ago and asked him what it was called. He said it was called bastard. But I can't remember what the German word for it was called because uh, he told me at the time. But anyway, he poured it. It was like a 90-degree day, and it was delicious. And I don't drink Coke, and I don't drink Budweiser very ever. And together, it was just like a magical dream refreshingness of in my mouth. So – it's gross and it makes me sad. <laughs> kind of like Henry at times in the game. That's true too. <laughs> okay. Uh, my song that I'll move on to now uh, is from 1989. And it's a weird song. Kind of like this game. It's a little different than everything else. was. Even for the 80s, it was weird. Uh, I don't think it's, it was a normal song even then. Kind of like Firewatch. Stands out. Uh, and it's it's all about going crazy, which this game was probably, we thought it was, you know, we were going crazy more than the actual more than it ended up we were going crazy we thought we were like maybe this is heaven maybe this is purgatory we don't know so we were going crazy even if henry wasn't at times uh but the main theory throughout you know was is delilah in on it or not so the song i chose was fine young cannibal she drives me crazy If Firewatch didn't terrify you at times, you should watch this the video for uh, Drive Me Crazy. She drives me crazy because it's it's scary. Well, and sometimes when you're playing as Henry, the things you do don't seem real. I thought you were going to do Meat Love. I would do anything for love. No, we're not going to go. No, I was, I was <laughs> quoting the song you just played for me. Oh, 
literally the next line. Well, I'm halfway through this IPA I'm working on. So what's your song? Uh, my song is Woody Guthrie's response to God Bless America. Um, this land is your land. This land is my land. This land is your land. And this land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. It's really a socialist uh, anti-capitalist what um yeah which is all you know fits with the national parks this is your land this is all totally does. um and uh, you got to go read more about the story of that song because it's okay. a cool, cool, yeah, we'll cool moment um but yeah it's it, when you when you see him playing it and you're imagining it that his guitar has a sticker on it that says this machine kills fascists um <laughs> you're like wow that's that's not quite the this land is your land that I always remember from you know, right. this school. patriotic guy. Wow. He was. He just right. believed something different about what America meant. That's good for him. That's awesome. All right. So that's all we got for uh, for Firewatch. I'm sure we left a lot of stuff out. So feel free to comment on the adventure. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you can find us. Uh, uh, yeah. Any – I guess we can talk about what we're doing next month, right? Yeah. We do not have a game to advertise no for game. next month. Although I will be um, playing Firewatch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna take a month off from yeah. playing, enjoy our family, enjoy the holidays. But we do have something yeah. for you. Yeah, we're gonna. We don't know. We're gonna call it yet. End of year show, Christmas special, something like that. But it's basically gonna be us getting together and talking about kind of the the best of 2016, favorite moments, worst moments, funniest moments, the Brentest moments, uh, and then we'll talk about. Um, we'll, we'll probably put like a little highlight reel together of the, the things we liked the most or whatever. A couple minutes of that. But again, it's something we don't want you to spend time playing the game, trying to catch up. We're not going to do that. So if you have time over the holidays, this will be our January episode. Uh, when you're hanging out with family, you want to get away for half hour or so, throw this on and relax, and hopefully you'll, you'll get a, ch- a chuckle or two. Yeah. And I think the title clearly needs to be Life Day on Kashyyyk. Um, <laughs> but that's just me. Yep. The Christmas special. Life <laughs> and Day that's on how the, And that's how the episode ended. Oh. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Hope hopefully you got you all got to watch or watch and play Firewatch. I watched mainly, but uh, feel free. Yeah, go download it. The game is amazing, uh, and we will see you next month. Thanks for listening. I have been Ben. I will be Jason, and I am a mighty pirate. Give me a sexy accent if you write about this. <laughs> see you guys later.